And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Well, it's that time of year again, pre-season. And if you want to compete at the best during any season, you need to commit to pre-season training. But what is the best way to approach and plan your team's pre-season training? Well, on the line, we have Ollie Harrington and Luke Dennison from thinkperformsport.com to talk us through an ideal pre-season schedule and how their website will be able to help you and your team. Ollie and Luke, welcome to the big kickoff. Thank you. Thanks very much. Great. Ollie, how did uh, Think Perform Sport come about and, and what are you about? So basically, we, um, we're four guys uh, from, a, from a football club, uh, a Category 1 academy. Um, this was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, we came together through um, uh, another contact, a, a guy who works um, with a lot of local clubs. Um, and he came to us and basically, basically said that there's not enough um, support for grassroots football. And when we say support, we mean things like sports science, psychology, uh, sports medicine or physiotherapy, and also like coaching topics or individual bits as well. Yeah. So the main reason behind it was to try and give people access to that sort of support that uh, the top clubs get, or even acad- all academies across England will have some sort of support. It's just trying to branch that out a little bit further uh, and give it to grassroots. Great. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's how it really came about. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's, it seems to have grown a little bit with the idea, so it's, it's, it seems to be going really well. Great. Uh, can you give us a quick background on each of the coaches that are involved and, and why they're important to your side? Yeah, so, so myself, I'm a, I'm a sports scientist. Um, I, can, I completed my degree at, at Bournemouth University um, alongside Luke, who's also uh, on the podcast today. Um, and then I, we had to do a placement year as part of our degree, which was, at the time, it was uh, a little bit daunting trying to find one and a year out in work was a little bit always a little bit scary, but uh, we managed to secure one both at a Category One football club, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So we started off working with the under 18s, um, and then went back to do my final year at, at university. Um, and then on the back of that, um, with the whole category system changing in England, uh, managed to secure a full-time role, um, and I've been I've been there for five years now. Really? Luke, I don't know if you want to mention mention your uh, your yeah, involvement. Yeah. I mean. Myself, uh, as Ollie said, I, I started my um, university life with Ollie at Bournemouth. Um, I then went on to do a master's in sports psychology at Roehampton. And as, as Ollie alluded to, we, we were really lucky to get some opportunities at, um, at a really well-respected football club. Yeah. Um, I've since since moved on from that club, um, still working within football. Um, again, a, a Category 1 um, academy um, and just for anyone that, that isn't aware of the, the category system a category one academy essentially is is the top category of four categories so um, there was a whole initiative to categorize all the academies and and um, we've essentially been working at, at one of you know one of the top academies in the country for a few years now um, but I kind of I look after the sports psychology side of things whereas Ollie's uh, a sports scientist. Okay, okay. And the rest of your team? So we've got a guy called Jack Kirsten, um, who deals with sports. Is our sports medicine part of the uh, part of the website? He's um, he's done his uh, degrees in sports therapy, and similar to us, has done placement years and done work experience um, at several football clubs, uh, non-league football clubs, and then on the back of that, managed to secure 
um, his placement or his his uh, a work placement for a year at the same club, um, and then has also been there ever since. Um, we've got two guys, Paul Hartness, um, who is in New Zealand. Uh, he's involved in coaching. Um, Lukey. Yeah. So, we, and we've also got um, a guy called Paul, um, who is also a coach. We've got two um, two coaches uh, working um, different different uh, players. Both worked across sort of grassroots football, um, and have both been involved with uh, different companies and different organisations for their career. So, we've got a really good uh, diverse experience of of not only coaching but. As Ollie said, so we got some different expertise in sports medicine, sports psych, um, and sports science. So we've got quite a well-rounded team of, of guys with lots of years of experience working, you know, on the ground with players. Yeah, yeah, and that's that 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 means it, it sets up well then uh, for the website. Um, but if, if you're a your pro team, you know well that you have a full week to work on all aspects of your pre-season. But with an amateur team or a youth team or, or uh, whatever, you'll only have two to three times a week. So what do you have to focus on to get your best out of your pre-season for any of those levels? For me, planning, planning is absolutely essential. Um, whether you've got one training session, two, three, four, or training every day of the week, um, planning is going to be absolutely key to your pre-season. Uh, now that's from things like how long you want the session to be, what you want to involve in that session, um, how long you want each individual drill to be, um, well, how, how intense you want it to be, and then also planning in uh, potential games. Um, now with that planning, it needs to be progressive, just like anything yeah. to try and improve your fitness. It just got to be progressive, progressive, aggressive, trying to improve each week. Um, now the way talking about um, amateur football. Yeah. Um, I would say, especially with younger kids, try and use the ball as much as possible. Yeah. Um, now, nobody ever likes pre-season. It's got that preconceived idea that it's just running and, and horrible and running till you're, till you're sick and stuff. That doesn't have to be the way. For me, I'd say intensity is key. So even if you're doing a two to three minute burst of, of hard work, yeah. trying to get the ball involved as much as possible, especially if a younger kid is going to really uh, really control their engagement and get, them much, get much more buy-in from the players um, that you're going to want. And also try and make it fun. Um, at the end of the day, you are conditioning, you are trying to work hard, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it fun with little games or little conditioned games or um, little relay races or little sprints or something like that. If you if you add an element of competition, I think it really really does improve it and really does help as much as, as much as possible. Yeah, I think I, I think the the idea has come across with everyone now, obviously, uh, and it's 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 simple. You, you can use the ball and still work hard. But is there a yeah, is, is there an element that uh, there is nothing wrong with having a bit of a slog as well uh, psychologically that it might no, make you a stronger? Person? No, of course not, Luke. If you if you want to come in on this bit, mate. Yeah, sorry. Could you repeat the question? The line's not great. Okay, uh, if. You do your hard work with the football. Uh, it, it's been saying that 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 is a good idea to try and get the football out, work hard with the football, and and you, and you can and you can build your fitness that way. But there there isn't anything wrong either with with uh, doing some interval work or hard some hard running uh, as well, placing that in there somewhere, maybe for the psychological point of view to make you mentally stronger. Would that be a case? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with some traditional, you know, running. Yeah. Uh, I think the key with pre-season or one of the keys is to mix it up, you know. So, um, 
no player wants to do the same thing repeatedly, whether that's running repeatedly or the same drills with the ball repeatedly. You know, even the most fun drill can get boring if you do it too much. So I think the key is to mix it up, keep the players interested. Um, part of pre-season isn't just getting physically right, it's getting you know mentally right and it's about looking forward to the season ahead. So not you know turning the players off straight away with with boring them or, or doing yeah. you know repeated uh, repetitive drills yeah mix it up and, and try different things i think is the the key uh, I, I, luke i always feel that a warm-up is like an opportunity to set the tone for the rest of your session so what makes a, a great warm-up like it's a, it's a chance to get them to tune in focus but also have fun absolutely yeah i mean at any level that that's true uh at the the grassroots level it's, it's also true at all the clubs that, that i've been involved with um you know even at, at the the elite level it's about having fun getting the players in the right frame of mind for the game ahead there's always an element to warm up of of fun um certainly at the clubs that i've been in, involved with um it's about setting the tone getting the standards right uh getting players switched on both mentally and physically um and yeah just just getting them ready and, and looking forward to the game ahead yeah. really yeah yeah no I, I, I've always... one thing I one thing I just quickly add on to that like for me with the amount of warm-ups I've taken uh, I've taken quite a few in, in my time I think the main thing with a warm-up is it it try and get it geared to what the session is going to be yeah um now if that's going to be particularly on defending it might be for example you might finish off the warm-up with little sprints to slowing down as you would as a defender you sprint out jockey and then close down yeah if you're going to be doing a lot of heading you obviously want to manipulate your warm-up to try and focus on what the session is going to be that's going to, that's going to come a little bit later on. But like Lukey says, get that, for me, the first sort of five minutes, um, it could just be little things like little keepy-uppies. It could be little bit keepy-uppies, could be like little jogs, or could be stuff with the ball to take away from everything they've done at school, everything they've done at work, anything outside to, right, we're going to have a little bit of fun, but then we're going to crack on. And I think that's the best way to try and get players engaged. Yeah. Um... And I think try new things as well. I think... Um... If any any coaches are listening that want to, you know, they're thinking about how to do their warm-ups, try new things, see what the players like. You might be surprised at, at what they react to, you know. So don't be, don't stick to your guns. Try new things and see see what works for you. Yeah, well, I think one one of the big sins of uh, a warm-up can be. Uh, obviously, and you just see it fading out now. But the, the two laps and 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 a, and a quick stretch. But the stretching, the stretching part uh, it would be something that uh, I would look at a lot. I, I, I studied uh, neuromuscular therapy and uh, the stretching thing that I would see still to this day at, at all junior levels and even at the elite junior level. So even under 15s, 16s, and I'll go out and watch teams and they will do their warm up. And they're not necessarily doing the proper warm-up. They're not necessarily holding uh, stretches for a decent amount of time. Uh, what what do you have on the site about uh, your 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 stretching and uh, flexibility sort of ways? So for me, within warm-ups, um, we would focus on obviously we we we'd start with a pulse raiser. Yeah, and that's obviously increasing the heart rate, increasing muscle temperature, and then we go into certain dynamic stretches. So we wouldn't. Me personally, I wouldn't necessarily do static stretches as much. Yeah. Um, I would focus more on dynamic stuff. But with regards to them doing it properly, it's all about how you engage with the players. Um, as much as you want them to have fun, it's also a time of, uh, we see it as a time of work. Um, but they're also as a little bit of protection as well. 
We no. wouldn't want anybody to go into a, a flat-out sprinting session having not warmed up properly. No. Um, so you just need to make sure that each player is focused um, and and really engaging in, in what you're trying to sell, in what you're trying to get them to do. Um, so there's, I mean, on the website we'll we'll, we'll introduce uh, things about how to structure warm-ups, um, potential dynamics, um, but it's also about getting players engaged. Because um, if a player isn't engaged, they're not really going to do something. Just like anybody, if they're if they're not interested in it as such, um, they're not going to put their full their full effort in. But it's also about making sure that the right technique is being is being shown. Um, so yeah, that, that would probably be my, my, uh, yeah. my sort of on, view on it. On 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 the dynamic and static, uh, what uh, we were taught was uh, with the dynamic. Uh, the reason why we do dynamic is because if you do static before a game that you start losing uh, percentage of, of your power in the muscles is that something that uh, has come across at, at the academy level that you've been at yeah kind of I mean ever since I've been ever since I've been working in an academy um, with, the, with the research that I've looked into it's been dynamic stretching um, there's been a lot of counter research about static and dynamic stretching there's 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 counter arguments for both but for me i've i found the best results come from dynamic stretching and going through ranges of motion that you're going to do within the game or putting it past that range of motion within the game so that it's prepared for when it when it happens um so yeah i, I would i would avoid static stretching as much in the warm-up um especially if it's cold so as you get towards the cold seasons you still need to stretch and if you're getting players stood around in a circle they're also cooling down at that, that point as well so if everyone stood in a circle just pulling off a static stretch, yeah. they're they're not as active as they could be if they were doing a dynamic stretch, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, that's not to say as soon as they've done the dynamic, they're ready to go out into the session. I would then do something else um, before we then send them into the actual session. But yeah, um, yeah dynamic dynamic for me would be would be the way forward. Yeah, Luke, as, as we've have we as we've talked about before, we've all seen you know these kind of images of uh, players bent over backwards, coughing up a lung. But are teams with limited time available, uh, is it better or is it still a case that playing matches is the best way to get fit? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you can't avoid the fact that, that match play has a, has a massive benefit in a pre-season. But um, obviously there's there's some work that needs to be done before uh, before players are, are ready to start those matches. So there needs to be some base work done to get them to a stage uh, to be able to play matches. But yeah, there's, there's definitely something to be said. Um, for pre-season matches, um, I mean, Ollie might be better placed to answer in terms of the physiological benefit of the matches. Yeah, so for me, I mean, like 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 Luke has mentioned, you would never send somebody into a game without having done any work beforehand. Yeah. Um, so you need to have that that steady build-up in order to produce, say, a half of football. So you would, for me, it doesn't necessarily have to be for ninety minutes. It can be for a period of time. Um, but you do need that base work. Um, of fitness, of strength. Strength is a big thing to try and avoid injury. Yeah. But also psychologically as well, I think. I think you need to have gone through a certain amount of fit, fitness work or stuff that they're not going to particularly enjoy um, in order to then enjoy the matches. Because if they feel fit, if, if, if a player knows that he's done fitness work, going into a game, he's then going to be physically and psychologically ready to think, right, I'm ready to actually compete at this level. Yeah. Um but as you as you progress throughout pre season, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said for for playing matches because that's ultimately what you're going to be doing throughout the season is, is is playing the games. You're preparing for the games. Um So Ollie if if, yeah. if again because we're talking about limited time teams who train maybe twice 
probably sometimes three times, but maybe mm-hmm. tw- twice a week. How much then should a team put into their tactical or shape work in a preseason uh, compared to their fitness? For me, uh, it's it's obviously a fine balance, but there's no reason why you can't focus on that technical and tactical element while doing certain fitness elements if that makes sense so it doesn't have to just be stop start all the time it could be you're going to run through a passage of play for for two minutes but you're just going to continue to do it so once the ball's gone out of play there could be another ball back in straight away so you 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 don't really get that they're they're getting the the repetitions of the the tactical element um but they're also getting the fitness element because it's repetitive you keep going for a certain amount of time um I think there is always room for, like we mentioned at the start, I think there is always room for just certain running. So just, just flat out running sprints, uh, uh, repeated sprints. Um, but there's no reason why your sessions, even passing drills or, or whatever happens within a session, can't be limited to certain times and then progressed on each week. So you would do, say you do a passing drill, you do it for a certain amount of time and then as they get better at it, right, to improve your fitness now, we're going to go for a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay, you know you're getting good at it. We're going to reduce the rest time before we do it again. So there's ways to manipulate it um, while still getting those elements of tactical, t- technical, and tactical in there for me. Yeah, yeah. Can I just uh, jump in on one, yeah, one thing as well? Um, you mentioned a few times, and and you're spot on. You're absolutely right. Some some clubs uh, do only get you know two, three training sessions a week, but um, it's not the case that that's the only training they could be doing. There's lots of stuff that players uh, can do away from those training sessions. Uh, either on their own or, you know, in in smaller groups. And what the if, if you visit the website over the coming weeks, what we'll do is we'll add some some ideas for stuff that players can do um, away from training. So there's lots of work that can be done, and that's physical, but also psychological work that players can do to prepare themselves better away from the actual training sessions. That's good. Um, you've just answered so you've just answered my next question, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> but it, so a, it's sort of a, a personal plan. Can they put personal plans together by you help uh, getting help from your side? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think, uh, and Ollie might might add this, but I think um, players need to, and this is at all levels of the game. But players need to take a little bit of responsibility. Um, so I know in some cases we're talking about about young players, but um, I think for certainly as they get older, they need to start taking a bit of responsibility not to just be told what to do by the coach or whoever's running the team. Um, there's an element of, of taking ownership and thinking, what could I actually do to, to improve myself that I'm not being told to do? Um, and that is one way that, that maybe our site could potentially help some players if, yeah. they're, if they're running out of ideas or they're struggling for ideas. Maybe we'll be able to, to bring some in. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, if anyone knows me, they know the importance that I put on uh, hydration, uh, whether mm-hmm. whether they participate in sport or not. Um, yeah. But your hydration and your nutrition, um, what will you have up in the site on both of those? Well, so for the for, so for the for next week, as of tomorrow, we'll, uh, our next article that we're producing uh, is an article on hydration, um, which is, it's, it just explains the importance of it. Like you've mentioned, not just for doing sport, but also for general life. Hydration is absolutely key, um, especially in, the, in these hot months. Um, you need to make sure that your hydration is spot on. Now, for coaches, there's there's little bits in that in the article that we've just put out um, on how to structure water breaks, um, on how to try and get as much hydration in. But then also for players on, again, it's, it may sound a little bit 
um, a little bit strange, but planning your hydration, mm. um, little things like carrying a water bottle around at all times or a novel idea would be to get players, especially young players, to just design their own water bottles. So you get a plain water bottle, design it themselves, and then they know that it's theirs and they can just have it for whenever they come to training or at school. And that's that's the thing. It needs to be done not just when you go to training. It needs to be done throughout the day. And alongside that, nutrition is your fuel. Um, it's that old acronym of, of, of the car. It needs to be fueled correctly. Um, so you need to make sure that before you go out to do a training session, um, it's fueled in the right way. And as well as that, it needs to be fueled after. Yeah. So whichever, as you've expended energy, you need to put it back in. Um, but again, there's correct ways to to refuel afterwards, to recover in order for the next training session or the game. Um, so hydration and nutrition are, are, are vital points for pre-season for me. Yeah, With the amount of work that you're going to be expected to do, hydration to, to keep those levels up and then nutrition to, to fuel you. I'm amazed by the amount of people who are dehydrated and don't sort of want to play at the highest level but have no interest in, in, in water. I, can't, I can never understand it. Um, for goalkeepers, this is the, the, the lonely position, but for goalkeepers, I suppose in a pro team, they'll have three other goalkeepers and they'll have a, a goalkeeping coach. But again, we're talking that maybe a, a lower level, maybe even an elite junior uh, football, that they wouldn't have that. They, how do you incorporate them into the pre-season uh, if you don't have those, uh, I suppose, luxuries? So for me, I mean, if, you, if you've got a goalkeeper that's, that's and there isn't a goalkeeping coach and it's one goalkeeper within a team, I don't see why he can't join in potential outfield sessions. Yeah. Um, now that could, he could be uh, a player on the outside or it's only going to improve him. It's only going to make him better with his feet if you want to try and play out from the back. It's only going to help him by, by getting involved in those outfield sessions. But again, making sure that his, his pre-season is gradual as well. So you wouldn't just put him in at the end of a six-week pre-season and say, right, you're going to do however long you're going to do 10, um, 10 minutes of an uh, 11 v 11 outfield because uh, he's not going to be conditioned to do it. Yeah. But there's also things like kicking. So you don't want to do hundreds of kicks in one day, just hundreds of long kicks because, again, that's going to place a lot of stress on the muscles. So, again, it needs to be built up. Again, planning it, and I know we've said it before, but but planning is absolutely crucial for pre-season, whether you're an, on -field, uh, an outfield player or a goalkeeper. It's just planning that and progressing it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Luki? Yeah, no, yeah, spot on. You, you, said, you said there, made me laugh, the um, the lonely position. You're absolutely right. I, I've All the, some of the most interesting players I've worked with have been goalkeepers. Um, I don't understand it myself, but <laughs> it's a really unique position and, and therefore their training needs to be tailored to that. But I just back up what Ollie said. There's no reason why they can't be involved in an outfield session. Um, you know, it's, it's, just important for them to be developing their footwork, um, their tactical understanding, all the other things that outfit players need, they can be doing exactly the same. Yeah. And like Luke said, it's, it's about a team, and you mentioned it's the lonely position, but you've got 10 outfield players who are all talking, who are all uh, congregating, who are all playing together, working together, yeah. and then you've got a goalkeeper on his own. Yeah. But yeah. a goalkeeper is essentially, could be, is, well, he's the last line of defence, so he needs to be, he needs to be in with his teammates, he needs to be working with his teammates as much as possible, yeah. so they get the, the most amount of trust with him and he gets the most amount of trust with them so getting him involved from an early stage is going to improve communication improve his technical ability and just improve the old the, the all-round sort of team dynamic that, you, that you've got yeah um johan cruyff said football is a is a mind game you play with your brain and i, I just want to read out a, a conversation uh, with a younger player okay coach so what's your favorite position player center midfield this is a young player coach 
Interesting. Is that because you see yourself as a, a good playmaker? Player, no. It's because my dad is on one side and my coach is on the other. And sometimes if I'm in the middle of the pitch, I can't hear either of them. So, <laughs> when, and this is probably for you, Luke. When, when people talk about sports psychology, they think about techniques and that can help a performance. But rarely do they think about how... Uh, their actions and words can affect a player or a child in, in, in this case. What advice can you give to both coaches and parents to give you know, players and kids the best chance to perform? To put it really simply, let them play. I think um, you're absolutely spot on. I think a lot of, a lot of coaches and a lot of parents, and, and they completely, they mean well, um, they really do, but I've, I've unfortunately had you know, experience of... Um, of times when when uh, coaches and parents have been a little bit um, overbearing on, on the kids in the sense that the, the kids aren't enjoying it anymore because they feel too much pressure. I, just, I think that's so sad when we're talking about really young players. Yeah. Um, my advice for anyone would be let them play. Um, don't don't add pressure to them. Um, give them advice by all means and talk to them about their football, but. Just, just let them enjoy it. That's ultimately, uh, and this is for grassroots and at the elite level. Yeah. As long as players are enjoying it, they've got a chance of improving. If a player's not enjoying it, they're not going to improve. They're not going to develop. Um, they'll probably fall away from the game. So I think uh, making sure they enjoy it is, is probably the number one. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but it, it really rings true. Yeah. For me, I, I read a book recently, and it was it was it was absolutely fascinating. And I think if you if you're going to chat with kids let, let them lead it let them lead and let them talk about it rather than saying you did this you did that you did the other let them talk about it in their own time because they're the ones that are playing it they're the ones that are enjoying it and let them come to you you can prompt by all means i think prompt questions if they want to talk about it but if someone's had a bad game again let them come to you and let them enjoy and experience it in their own way i guess yeah. um you would, yeah, like Lukey says, I'd really back that up, just, especially at the younger ages. Just let them play. You let would, them enjoy it. That's you, why you're taking them there is to, is to enjoy football. So just let them enjoy it. You would see, um, you would see a lot of coaches, uh, again, even at, at, at the higher level, who would nearly play the game for the kids or play the game for, uh, you know, top elite 17s, 18s, 19s, pass the ball, kick the ball, turn back, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. It's, I suppose sometimes it's just best to, I suppose, essentially shut up and, and just let them make their own decisions. Yeah, that's the thing. Because if they if they got to the top level, if hopefully they all, hopefully everyone makes it to the top level. But if they're playing in front of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people, they're not going to have that person there telling them what to do. And then that's when they're gonna they're not not going to know what to do. They have to learn for themselves. They have to experience it for themselves. And uh, as much as it's it's never a nice thing to hear or say, but. They have to fail in order to learn how to deal with mistakes and then correct those mistakes. But if they keep getting told and spoon-fed everything, then that's never going to help them, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just the last question for us, lads. Uh, does Think uh, Perform Sport also cater for the you know five to ten year olds? So maybe the young academy uh, that is is coming up up to, to up to seven or eight year olds, and then the under eights, nines, and tens. Yeah, what we're uh, what we're trying to trying to do is cater for. For all players in different ways. So the way that we're structuring the site and the way that we're structuring the 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 information we put on there is that it could be applied um, to to all different ages. So we're trying to make it relevant to everyone. We're not just talking about you know the older ages. We're not just talking about the younger ages. We're going to try and make it universal in that sense. Um, 
and we'll we might uh, in some cases maybe we'll we'll add two versions of an article if it's particularly important that it's different for a younger player than an older player but we're certainly not exclusive to a certain age group no that's great okay well listen ollie and luke thanks so much for your time um the the site is uh, thinkperformsport.com and I hope and I wish you all the best uh, with your future thank you very much we really appreciate it cheers thanks Thanks very much lads thanks for your time mate cheers thank you